Proverbs 23, verse 7. Absolutely. We'll get there in just a minute. I do want to welcome some very important people today, our first-time guests. Can we celebrate them and welcome them today? We're so glad that you're here. I mean it. We really, really uh, want to welcome you. We hope you're having a good experience so far. Um, a way that we say thank you is uh, a small gift that we have for you. As you leave today, you can stop by our Next Steps table. Got a little coffee card and some things for you. Just our way of saying thank you uh, for joining us. We consider it an absolute honor. And it's been incredible. Really, over, I can't even keep count, over so many several weeks, we've had the honor of welcoming so many first-time guests and so, again, we don't want to highlight you. We're not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand, nothing like that. You just get to kind of be in the background. But we do want to say thank you for being here. And um, I'm excited today, really, to continue um, a series that we began a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, the week one, I talked about a teachable heart as we kicked off Proverbs. And Proverbs can really be approached in humility. Or let me say this, it really should be approached in humility. Proverbs is one of three books of wisdom. It's one of three books of wisdom. It kind of falls into the category of literature in the scriptures called wisdom literature. It goes in there along with the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. And Proverbs, it's, it's practical. You're not going to get a ton of stories. You're not going to necessarily hear about a lot of the heroes of the faith. You'll get that all in your scripture. But Proverbs is unique in that it is, it is almost like a one-liner. It's almost like a sentence with a couple moving parts that the writer is hoping we will begin to practice. Book of James tells us, man, don't just be hearers of the word, somebody, but be doers of the word. We don't want to just receive and get it stuck in our mind, but we actually want to walk it out. And so a couple weeks ago, kicking off Proverbs, looked at a teachable heart. Last week, I shared and hopefully equipped and encouraged you to walk well or how to walk well through an offense. Like if there's breath in your lungs, trust me, you're going to get offended. You are. It's just kind of part and parcel of life right now here on earth. And um, I, I hope as believers that we can practice the ways of Jesus in walking well through offense. Well, today I want to talk about the power of your thoughts. Today, I want to talk about the power of your thoughts, and um, I've, 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 I've loosely titled this, Moving the Mountain in Your Mind. Moving the Mountain in Your Mind. And I'll unpack that in just a minute, but I'm excited for today's joke. <laughs> a new pastor was visiting in the homes of his parishioners. At one house, it seemed obvious that someone was at home, but no answer came to his repeated knocks at the door. Listen, he was one of those pastors, ringing the doorbell, knocking. He knew somebody was home, so he just patiently waited, but no response, no response. He took out a business card and wrote Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 on the back of it and stuck it in the door. When the offering was processed the following Sunday, he found that his card had been returned. Added to it was this cryptic message. Genesis 3, verse 10. Reaching for his Bible to check out the citation, 
he realized. Revelation 3.20, it begins, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Genesis 3.10 reads, I heard your voice, and I was afraid, for I was naked. Come on, yo! Yes! Yes! Oh, man. Shut it down. Let's pray. No. <laughs> Listen. I think I heard a wow. Yeah. You're, okay. I, got, I, I received that. I received that. Here's the deal. The power of our thoughts. Today's message, let me say this. I, I, I do not introduce uh, a message often in this way, but this is one of my life messages. This has become one of my life messages, maybe a better way to say it. There are probably with any communicator or any pastor over the years, um, they, they have a life message or a, a handful of life messages. This is one of my handful of life messages. Um, it's one that I've personally experienced. It's one that I personally practice, right? We're practicing Christians, just like you saw a doctor maybe, called a doctor this week. How many of you know? They're just practicing medicine. All right, their insurance knows that very well. They just practicing medicine, or maybe uh, uh, you know a lawyer or two, or you are a lawyer. Uh, you are practicing law. Everybody, come on. How many of you know that? How many know that? Accountants, they're well. No, accountants need to get our taxes right. Everybody, we know that they ain't practicing, but they're practicing. They're practicing. Here's the deal with our faith. You, you, you got. Let me set you free this morning. You have permission to practice your faith. Like, so when you mess up, let it go. Don't let the guilt, don't let the shame shake it off. You're practicing. You're practicing repentance. You're practicing confession. You're practicing moving forward and trusting God. Today's message is a message for you to practice as well. Moving the mountain in your mind. Proverbs 23, verse 7, in the King James, it says this, For as he thinks... In his heart, so is he. It's Proverbs, part three. Proverbs 23, seven. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. For as I think in my heart, so am I. I want to talk about the power of our thoughts. Our thoughts are either making us or breaking us. Internally, we are either building ourselves up or we are breaking ourselves down. Each day, we have close to 70,000 thoughts, according to the researchers at Cleveland Clinic. <laughs> I didn't think much about it, but that's what they said. 70,000. In fact, a few years ago, I was doing research, and at that time, it was 30,000. I guess with the incoming of social media and television and so forth, we get more thoughts on the brain. We have more influences popping in to our minds and into our brain. Think about that. 70,000 thoughts you and I, the people around you are having every single day. My one-liner, if there's a catchphrase that, that's kind of portable for you today, this is how I'd say it. What we dwell on, we dwell in. What we dwell on, we dwell in. Over time, you'll begin to recognize the truth that your thoughts are leading the direction of your life. 
They really are. I shared last week, if I could go to 20-year-old Paul and talk to him about offenses, I wish I could take the message I preached last week. But some things are just grown over time and through experience and by making plenty of mistakes. The same is true for today. I wish I could rush to Paul while he's walking through his college years and learning relationships, learning friendships, learning studies, learning career, learning just life. I wish I could run to him and say, hey, Paul, you're focused on your IQ and that's important, but your EQ is what's going to get you where you're going. We as a culture focus on IQ, like how about this, go get a degree, and we fail to focus on the EQ. Typically, the emotional quotient is what's breaking down people's lives. And where are all of our emotions rooted in? A thought. I had a thought. And typically, our emotions... Lippity-smick quick, get us into a space that we've been practicing on the inside. Our thoughts are driving our life. Proverbs 23, 7, again, look at it. For as she, he, me thinks in my heart, so am I. Paul would write a magnificent letter it's called the Book of Romans. It's a tremendous, tremendous book. Kind of, a, kind of a heavy, loaded, full, rich book. But in Romans chapter 12, it begins to get into some of the practicalities of our journey with Christ and our journey with others. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it, it talks about living life surrendered. Be a living sacrifice. Romans 12, verse 2 shows us the key. Be be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I meet Christians that are 45 years in the faith. 55, 65, 75 years. And they'd be able to quote that verse, but they've not practiced that verse, everybody. I could quote that verse at 22, 24, 28. But it wasn't until 29, 30 that I began to implement and recognize how vital our minds are to our faith, to our journey through life, and, and, and especially our journey towards others. I think of this, and I think of, I think I can't help but shake the thought of direction. Like, I am a fan of the Maps app, and I have a father who's a fan of the Rand McNally app. All right. Any of you grow up going on vacations, and before the iPhone, you had that good old-fashioned Rand McNally. Thank God for the Maps app, everybody. <laughs> but what I do is, what, what, what I do what you do if you ever use it, I, 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 I just type in the address. And once the address is there, I just hit go. And now Kelly has told me, Paul, you got to be a little, qu- a, a little careful, because sometimes you hit go, and you're actually taking the long route. And so I've, I've learned, okay, be careful, what's the address, slow down, and then I hit go, and then I just leave it in the hands of the Maps app. I just drive. As long as I do my part, I'll arrive. The same is true. Our mind is having thoughts that are leading us to a destination, and if we're not careful, 
Many of us are walking daily. We're leading relationships. We're leading marriage. We're leading family. We're leading singleness. We're leading careers. We're leading people and just hoping for the best or just letting others put in a destination and not taking responsibility for who God has said that we are and who he's called and invited us to be. This was one of those messages where I really had to lean in and not just say, hey, I'm going to pray, but hey, I'm actually going to direct my thoughts towards the King of Kings, towards the Lord of Lords, and I'm going to move the mountain that oftentimes gets stuck in my mind from going from where I am, stepping into who he's called for me to be. You know, one of the ways to frame this is you have permission to choose a better thought. You have permission to choose a better thought. Our scriptures are filled with promises. Scriptures are filled with truths and realities that God invites for us to participate in. One of the ways we do that is to partner with his word, his promise, his truth over any given circumstance. And it's good to get our minds moving in a direction that honors God, that is pleasing to God. I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Paul's encouraging the church in Corinth. And they lived in really one of the most secular societies in human history. Like I know things may seem and appear bad now. And in reality, parts of it is. But we ain't got nothing on the Romans, everybody. <laughs> that empire was bananas. B-A-N-A-N-S. It was bananas. I'm just glad they didn't have a docu-series at that point in time. I'm glad MTV wasn't around, wasn't even thinking about creating a show. It was secular, 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 despicable. And here, Paul has gone into one of the foremost cities in the empire, Corinth, and thought, you know what? This looks like fertile ground to plant a church. <laughs> And so he plants the church of Corinth, and the Corinth, Corinthian church is, is a blend, but it's predominantly Gentiles. And what I mean by that is they were not God-fearing people. And so Paul is training them, he's leading them, and a lot of pastoring is practical instruction. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, he says this about their thinking and about their thoughts. Here's what he says, and here's what he testifies to that he did. Take every thought captive, make it obedient to who? Christ. We can't afford to live. We can't afford to move in a direction that's not Christ approved. Our stinking thinking will get us to stinking destinations. What we dwell on, we dwell in. I can't speak on your behalf, but I can speak and share on my behalf that there have been seasons of disappointment that were prolonged. What should have maybe been a week, a two, a month, turned to half a year or a year, became my dwelling place. It was a one-off. Sometimes it's like last week. It's an offense. And that offense, it gets so close, I can't see anything else. 
Many times I can't see anyone else. Because that disappointment turned me to look on the inside, and I'm, my future's blunted. I'm, I'm, I'm like blacked out. I can't see. And if we're not careful, a disappointment, which is real, they will happen, and we affirm those. But unhealthily processed, it begins to become a permanent location for the soul. You know you can practice disappointment. Are you aware that you can practice shame? Are you aware that you can actually practice fear and intimidation? You can practice despair. And you can reach a point that you've practiced it so well that every time the enemy or the accuser comes with a thought, gets lodged in the mind and it causes a reactivity in your life. Starts in the mind. If we're not careful, we can rue. I don't know if you use that word around your home. I'm the only one who does in my home. We can ruminate on a thought. We can meditate on a thought to such an extent that we're just dwelling on it and dwelling on it and dwelling on it and dwelling on it that we land up reaching a place where the very pastures we're in are nothing but disappointment, nothing but cynicism. Cynicism, you don't arrive there day one. Usually starts out with some good old-fashioned sarcasm. Which I may or may not love. But you've got to check your sarcasm. Because sarcasm, unchecked, will turn into a season of sarcasm to turn into a lifetime of cynicism. Well, where did it start? Starting your thoughts. And here's the trouble. If you're like me, when you're first starting to get set free from it, I don't know about you when you're getting set free from things, but I usually look to blame other people. That's usually (laughs) denial and then blame others and then take responsibility. Right? I don't know about you. I'm practicing my faith. Y'all quit looking at me so intense, right? Listen, that's just how your pastor's set free. Denial, it doesn't exist. I have no problem. What do you mean I'm in a cynical place? No, I'm not. But if I'm not careful, I leave it unchecked. And I'm telling you, you may not see it in a week, you may not see it in a month, but if you're not careful, if your thoughts are nothing but negative, if they're nothing but less than, small than thinking, they will begin to infiltrate. You want to isolate it to one arena, but if you're not careful, it'll begin to infiltrate the entire system so that your inner life is hindered. Like you want the things of God. You want the blessing of God. And by golly, you're doing the best you can. I was, but it needed me to take a step further and to recognize I got to practice this. A preacher's not able to preach it away. A pastor's not able to pray it away. This takes my responsibility. The Proverbs 23, 7 As I think in my heart, so am I. Paul comes along, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, take every thought captive, making obedient to Christ. That's every thought. That's an offensive statement. We interpret what was said, bloop, becomes a thought. Many times, bloop, bloop, it's on the highlight reel of our lives. So we wake up defeated, wake up discouraged, wake up misplaced, wake up unsettled. Today, you have permission to just flip that switch from fear 
to faith and practice. Practice. <laughs> practice. I remember one season of my life, um, my uh, wife and two daughters are still on the wallpaper on my phone, but when I began to get this rooted in my system, I began to put faith statements everywhere. <laughs> Like my poor wife, she's like, I can't open or see anything without boom, boom, boom. Faith statements. I needed to keep it before me. I had to get my system, my inner life moving in the right direction. I remember one of the wallpapers on my phone was a simple practice for me because maybe unlike you, I get on my phone. I'll check my phone quite a bit throughout the day. So I said, Lord, I just thank you. I got with the Lord, prayed. I felt like he gave me a phrase and I put that phrase to be blessed and prosper, to be blessed and prosper. It was the word I needed in that season. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I had to recognize many times the Lord's giving us a promise in a specific arena of our life. So every time I got up, got, got my phone ready, I said, yeah, I'll be blessed and prosper. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I let it get stuck in my mind. It's amazing that in life and sometimes in church world, we will applaud negative less than thinking. But when people come with passion, when people come with zeal, when people come with encouragement, we look at them like, man, what's wrong with you? <laughs> or how about this? Somebody gets saved, man. They get set free. They start changing their environment. You're like, well, just don't worry about it, son. That'll wear off. Don't ever let me hear you saying that at Hillside, okay? Okay? <laughs> You're like, you sound like my spouse. Be quiet. Don't elbow nobody in this message, okay? <laughs> All right? Here's, here's one of the ways of, of, of understanding this tremendous story in the Old Testament. Tremendous story. There's a chance... As King Solomon was writing this, he was so steeped in the scriptures, right? He was so steeped in the story of Israel. There's a chance, I, I'm obviously reading into it a little bit, but there's a chance he looked back at the famous story in Numbers as, as the Israelites are, have left Egypt and they've moved through the wilderness and they're on the cusp of the promised land. And Moses has instructed 12 spies. He's got the Israelite CIA operatives out. One for every tribe. And they go out into the promised land. They go out into the Canaan land. And they're looking around and they're like, whoa, this place rocks. It is a land flowing of milk and honey. And not only that, they, they bring some show and tell items from the promised land. They got grapes, just miracle grow or something. Just grapes and fertile ground amazing place and so they they come back and you would have thought everybody's beep bopping they got waymaker down on the you know background and they just like well let's sing it again no no they come back and say man it's true it's true the land is fertile it's full of promise the grapes they're ballistic they're like bomb size they're just huge man it's amazing ten of them Here's the report, but, 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 they're giants in the land. Hello, let me give you a truth bomb. They're giants in your land. 
They're giants. Your freedom, it's going to take some giants. Your passion, it's going to take overcoming some giants. Your personality that, that, that um, what was the old man, amen, and now is the new man, it's going to take some giants to overcome. There's always giants when a miracle's on the scene. God is strengthening our faith. But these 10 guys, I said, man, they're giants in the land. There is no way we can overtake it. What they were dwelling on, they dwelt in. Those spies never made it into the promised land. But Caleb and Joshua saw a different land. They saw a different future. As hard as they tried, they could not forget the miracle working power of God. As much as they tried to forget, you can imagine they're waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweats, remembering how God parted the Red Sea. They're remembering what it looked like to be so starving and then to wake up the next morning and there's man on the ground. Then they remember, man, they were just out playing marbles. Because that's what you did back then. They're playing marbles with their friends. And out of the corner of their eye, they're seeing millions of quail flying across the desert. And somebody rings the bell and says, it's lunchtime. They could not get God out of their thinking. So when it came time to enter the promised land, you have Caleb nearing the end of his days saying, give me that mountain. It's mine. Because he had already moved the mountains that were previously in his mind from Egypt. God's inviting us to take that same journey in life. There may be a delay. You may feel in a delayed season. I'm not saying it is, but it's always good to check yourself. How's your thinking? How's your mind mountains? Are you just singing? Or are you really praying, leading your mind in a direction that is life-giving and whole? Think of Psalm 23, verse 1. The reality, it's not just a happy thought. It is the thought and the promise over your life. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not lack. That means even in the valley, there's provision. There's everything you need. On the hillside, there's provision. There's everything you need. In the mountain, there's provision. There's everything you need. I don't mean just provision financially. I mean provision emotionally. Provision spiritually. Provision friendship-wise, relationally. So often, we are devaluing ourselves. And let's be honest. We've had critics along the way. We've had sometimes in our family of origin, man, nobody told us we could be who God's called for us to be. Nobody opened some doors for us to dream. It was always, man, you'll never amount to anything. You're nothing. You're, you're, what do you bring to the table? It was cynicism, sarcasm, fear, doubt. And here God is inviting you to think his thoughts. You know what Isaiah says, what? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher. There's an invitation for us to dwell on thoughts that he has for us, to dwell in a direction that he has 
for us. One of the ways I do this is it was a season. It took a season. I want to say, prepare yourself for a season. But it will change the direction of your life. Any season that changes the, the direction of your life is worth it, in my opinion. One of the things the Lord began to do in my life is I got a hold of what I, ju- I just call anchor thoughts. Began to practice anchor thoughts. They're not complex. They're very simple on purpose. So I can memorize them. So I can be aware of them. And when situations arise, they become my first thought. Because they're my anchor thoughts. You're familiar with anchors? Anchors are what? They're pretty small, aren't they? And yet, what do they do? They can literally keep a big yacht or cruise liner in place during a storm. Something that's what? Disproportionately smaller because of the weight that they carry. You need anchor thoughts because of the storms of life that have come your way. You need, not 30, that's too many anchor thoughts. You, don't have, you should not have that many boats going at the same time. <laughs> Keep some of them at harbor, tackle them next year. You need a few anchor thoughts that are significantly charged. Truths that become your reactivity when an anxious moment, when an anxious thought comes to mind. And what you do is you take that anchor thought and you play it on repeat, on repeat, on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. Anchor thoughts like God loves me. Like we say that a lot. We say that a lot. Do you know, have you tasted and seen the depths the height, the width of God's love for you. Mine was a little back and forth. At first it was, God loves me. I'm aware of that. Great. Then it became, God loves me when I mess up. Like, that's that's a big lesson, y'all. Some of you may not know that lesson. What that means is when the voice of shame, when the voice of accusation, when the whispers of the enemy come, we temporarily get consumed by those thoughts. I'll never rise above my failure. There's no other way I can live. There's no other purpose. I am nothing but a worm. I'm so terrible. Oh my gosh. God could never love me, right? Wrong. Your anchor thought can hold you saying God loves me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Greater the plans he has over my life. What he started within me, he'll be faithful to complete. Despite the whisper of the enemy, God's voice is louder. His blood speaks a better word. You can take that. Book of Hebrews, boom. Philippians, boom. Psalm 139, boom. Jeremiah 29, boom. Just in those few thoughts. But I can't project them upon you. Trust me, I've tried. (laughs) You have to partner with God's word over your life. Like, shoot straight with yourself. Get yourself in the mirror. Say, Paul, how long are you going to let shame dictate your life? How long are you going to devalue who God's called for you to be? How long are you going to keep delaying the passion, the purpose, the future he's called you into? It's all part of coming to grips with our thinking. I, I, I think there's so much power in familiarizing ourselves with scripture. There's so much truth with the stories of scripture. There's almost nothing I encounter in life that I can't go beep-de-boop. That's from Genesis. That's in Exodus. That's in first and second Kings. That's in Judges. 
Judges alone, man, it's got the story of Gideon in it. That alone is worth the price of a Bible, somebody. Angel armies of the Lord, the head captain, comes to visit Gideon. You want to talk about the opposite of anchor thoughts. Take the story of Gideon. The angel of the Lord comes and says, Hello, mighty man of valor. Gideon's response. Me? Who? Me? Think you have things? You've got your wires crossed. I'm the least of the least clan of Israel. Angel checks. He says, no, you're the one. And God has to get him on a whole journey of moving from who he thought he was to who God says that he is. That's the beauty of the journey you and I are on. Taking every thought captive. For me, the most pivotal piece of that entire verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, every. Not Sunday morning thoughts. Not when the wind's at my back thoughts. Not when Way FM just happened to hit the best worship songs three in a row. Not with the bonus, not with the blessing, but in the valley, in the broken places. That's where the truth of what we know about God and what we know about ourselves is revealed. And it's in that place that I believe God is inviting us to capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's no reason... To follow the winds of the whispers of the accuser over your life. And I make a, that's, that's too big of a promise, but I make a promise as best as I can. That at Hillside, we'll be a church that silences the voice of the enemy over your life. We'll be a church not to see who you were by who you were, but who you are. By who God says that you are. Like you can make a mistake. Grace. You can have problems. Patience. You can offend me. I'll forgive you. 490 times. But don't cross me that extra time. That's That's biblical math by the way. I'm just kidding. But I long. Kelly and I always. Eight years ago when we started Hillside. We longed to be a place. That speaks life. But one thing I've learned is that my words, they come after my thoughts. And so I've practiced, Lord, give me the mind of Christ. Give me the mind of Christ for every person I encounter. Don't let me look at them to consume, but how can I contribute? And I have to, I'll be honest, (laughs) I have to practice this at the beginning of the day. I can't let my day get ahead of me. I've got to zero in at the beginning of every day. Lord, I thank you that I'll be blessed and prosper. I thank you that there's provision. God, I thank you that there's grace. I thank you that there's peace. I thank you that there's miracles. God, I thank you that your spirit is with me, walking with me. You made a promise, and I'm taking it for granted, that you never leave me, you never forsake me. Help me to help somebody else. Lord, where there's doubt, let me cast faith. Where there's fear, let me cast peace. Where there's lack, let me be generous. Where there's hate, let me speak love. Where there's unrest and anxiety, let me be a voice of peace. Here's the kicker. You're called to that too. 
in your workplaces, in your environments, in your families, your marriages, in your parenting with your children. Let them see Christ, amen? But in order for them to see Christ, we've got to win the battles that take place in here. What we dwell on, we dwell in. Proverbs 23, 7. As we think in our heart, so are we. Amen? Let's close. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the truth of who you are. And God, thank you for the truth of whose we are, that we are your beloved. God, that we have been set apart with a vision and a future. And I thank you, God, that your word promises that mercy and goodness will follow us all the days of our life. And Lord, your scriptures indicate, they reveal that it was written by a broken king. A man with regrets and failures. A man who did not have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. But Lord, one thing he got right, he wrote down in Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. Therefore, I shall not be shaken. Lord, let that be the testament promise in and through our life that we set 